0: Welcome to season five of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good
1: podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do more good. Do good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. More good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Yeah.
0: Okay, you are listening to the Do More Good podcast.
1: Here we are, James. Episode number 70 of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing? Good, Kenneth. I'm very well. How about you? Yeah, I'm hopefully sounding a little bit clearer and crisper. Can you hear that in my voice?
0: You what, you sound clearer, crisper, a little bit more mature. Haven't you grown? <sighs> big birthday coming up?
1: Yeah, yeah, big birthday coming up. And I'm, I'm using this newfangled device that you um, very kindly <laughs> sent me across for my yeah. birthday, which is a, a new microphone. I think you were Upset at the lack of quality of my um, <laughs> my headphones from previous episodes, and so you decided to make this. Thank you so much; it's brilliant. Well, we've stepped, we have you stepped know, it's a bit more of a present for our
0: listeners, isn't it? We've stepped up the audio quality in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? So, yeah, it All is good. You're very welcome. Very welcome. But actually, seeing as we are, are kind of reflecting, we have got your fortieth birthday coming up. Was it next weekend?
1: At next the weekend. Time of recording. Next twenty first. Twenty first.
0: You're looking back on your life with the theme of today's chat. Can you talk us through your your kind of sporting prowess as a (laughs) youngster?
1: Are you looking back now on any great victories? Well, without a guest sitting there, there's nowhere near his accolades. But my sporting prowess, is I played county hockey for Nottinghamshire when I was 13. Also played county tennis. And that was about it. Yeah, not That's pretty- really that, that it's great. Right. It's That's right. not too bad. What about you? Have you got any good stories of your youth?
0: Not, uh, again, yeah, not really up to much, but I was a kind of a big deal in the uh, cross-country squad at school. Ooh. Let me tell you, that went down well with the ladies. <laughs> and uh, and then I played Sunday League football. I was a, a kind of a, a pacey left winger, but with um, purely right-footed. So uh, utterly useless, essentially. I did score. It did score one of the greatest goals. He was like tick attacker before tick attacker came in that the Orpington and Bromley League Division 5 had ever seen. <laughs> I just, you know, applied the finishing touch to a wonderful team goal. But do they remember me for that? No, they do not. They remember me for missing the open goal against Poverest, one particularly hungover Sunday morning. So, yeah, nothing really to write home about. I'm pinning Ooh. it all on the
1: kids. What about on your new bike now? Surely your your super speedy bike that you've got yourself is uh, getting you into some clubs and you can, you're achieving some medals with that.
0: I mean, it, it does look nice, <laughs> but it looks nice really from the back of the pack. And it goes slow enough that, you know, anyone on the pavement gets a good look at it as it goes past. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah but but no, is. so I guess when we're recording this, spring is upon us. Summer is nearly here. Mm. Lockdown is nearly over we're opening up a little bit more so yeah just excited to excited for the next couple of months i think that that feel-good feeling is kind of starting to we talked about it before it's coming back and, and everyone seems a little bit happier and a little bit more cheery about yeah. what's ahead
0: yeah and with your birthday coming up you'll be front of the queue for a vaccine won't you soon your <laughs> old timer you'll be in for that
1: i know yeah. well it will be my second lockdown birthday yeah i, I hear we're going to a, a national trust property next Sunday for a celebration. So, yeah, that will be as uh, raucous as it gets, I think. <laughs> very nice. very nice. But yeah, but anyway, look, let's crack on again. Another brilliant guest. So, so pleased to, to, to have him join us today. It's uh, actually someone that I've known about for a couple of years, just through a, through a friend of mine. And he was kind enough to introduce us. And we're here today. So I'll crack on with our introduction. Our guest this week was born in Texas and came to England at the age of two. Brought up on a tough estate close to Peterborough, he had a challenging start to life with his mother spending time in prison and he often found himself with a foster family right up to the age of 10. At school, he was a disruptive child, often referred to as the class clown, but he always excelled when it came to sport. He received honours in martial arts and sprinting before being signed as a schoolboy at the world-famous Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. He would then spend the next 10 years of his life at the club, representing England at youth level before turning pro at Spurs at the age of 18. After leaving the club at the age of 19, he would go on to play professional football for clubs up and down the country and finding the time to begin an acting career in the Sky One football-based drama show Dream Team before retiring from the game in 2012. Now, throughout his career and due to his own experiences as a child, he had an active role in supporting young people in the UK and overseas. And it was this experience that led to him setting up the children's charity Sports Connections Foundation or SCF with the aim to use sport as a tool to help and inspire children who are disadvantaged, poverty stricken or facing life limiting illnesses. So we're really pleased when he accepted our invite to join us on the Do More Good podcast. It's Junior McDougall. How are you doing?
2: Brilliant. Really lovely to join you, Kenneth and James.
1: Thanks a lot, Junior, for agreeing to come on. We appreciate that it's close to dinner time. People are getting hungry, but you've given us an hour every time. And so so we re- really appreciate it. Junior, before we delve into it, we've been asking a lot of our guests recently. How's the last 12 months been for you and for, for the team at SCF? Yeah, it's, it's been, I'm sure, like
2: so many charities, probably most charities, really. It's been a real tough time. Obviously, at home as well, <laughs> yeah. um, especially especially with three children myself. But um, yeah, it's been tough because before COVID, we were just really excited. We would be celebrating our tenth year as a, as a charity, so we were really looking forward to sort of making the most of that. And then obviously COVID hit, and obviously we've had to sort of furlough individuals. And as a small charity, from a financial point of view, it's been really really tough. And we would have engaged say last year probably about 30,000 children across the country so it meant that our schools program went out the window straight away and obviously there was very limited stuff that we could do with the other strands of the charity so it's, it's been really tough Kenneth to be honest.
0: Yeah it sounds like that's a kind of double blow for you there that you've had the impact on the charity but also the schools being closed means that you, you, you can't show the impact of what you're doing as well that's really hard.
2: Yeah yeah it's been so hard on so many and also you're conscious because you know as a year now since COVID struck and with so many individuals I don't know about you guys but there's friends that sadly passed away due to COVID so you just put things in perspective but of course with my heart being very much about young people especially the children that were isolated anyway it's been really really tough for a lot of them and obviously you know the children in the hospitals and stuff as well so yeah just looking forward to hopefully a, a better future for a lot of these children and their families, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Junior, I mean, a really interesting. As we heard from the introduction, there, your backstory: born in the US, lost the twang on the accent. I'm sure you've taken a ribbon <laughs> about that over the years. Absolutely. Um, but you know your your upbringing and the, and then your your career. I mean, so many areas to delve into. But if you don't mind, we'd like to kind of start those early years. And and one of the things that you you know we mentioned was you were quite a disruptive child at school. Can you talk a little bit about? about that experience and the role that sport played for you during that time?
2: Yeah, no problem at all. I mean, generally, and I know it's like so many young people, I'll be honest, I, I struggled at school from a young age. In my school report, they said I oh, would be better coming to school in a clown suit. And that was actually within my school report, which obviously my mum sort of wasn't best happy with. But um, <laughs> I just I just struggled. It's hard to be able to express yourself when you're that young and because I struggled with the work I didn't really know how to say just put my hand up or ask for help I found that by trying to make people laugh and just mess around but really inside I was actually saying hey I need some help here I was struggling and obviously times have changed but certainly then it was it was really tough and I was forever just getting in trouble not not for real bad things but just yeah constant messing around really that would lead to spending many sort of days outside the the headmaster's office and really just trying to find ways to get out of doing the work to be honest sport just played a role and that really began to sort of make a difference when I discovered that I was sort of actually all right at sport
0: it sounds like you excelled at sport that was was it kind of an outlet was it an area that you could really impress
2: yeah I, th- I think absolutely because where other people and sort of my friends you know we just get on and do the work in class and this goes right back from primary school. I'd be that one next to a friend sort of thing, just saying, oh, you know, trying to use me a noddle to go. Oh, yeah. What did you put for number one? Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. What did you put for number two? Yeah, me too. And I was just trying to find ways. So I was coming quite creative of finding ways not to do the work. But I think even my mum would sort of tell, you know, literally was sort of like wondering what I was going to do. And bearing in mind, most young children now, they're kicking a football around the age of three, four or five years of age. I was about sort of seven or eight when I started playing. I think it was a maths teacher. said, look, you know, Mr. Martin, who I remember, and said, look, let's let's try you at football, see how how you are. And then as you do, you know, like in PE, began to sort of think actually I was sort of doing okay. And literally within a year or two, and it was playing for a county, happened to score a hat-trick, and there was a Tottenham scout there. And what was bizarre, it's the team that I supported anyway, and I thought it was a bit of a joke, to be honest. There was a TV show... Uh, many many years called called Jim will fix it, yes. and obviously later on we know and yeah lots of different things there. But I remember young children would write to Jim will fix it. Sort of I know writing myself, thinking oh yeah can I sort of train or can I sort of see the Tottenham players that I supported? Lo and behold that didn't happen. But I do remember when the scout was there, I was thinking is this anything to do with that program? But thankfully it wasn't. It was a genuine sort of scout that invited me down there to go down to training and by that stage stepdad had come on the scene and I I never forget because I can I can remember it like it was yesterday went down for that first training session from Huntingdon to Tottenham car broke down on the way and it was the first time that they were actually um, training on the pitch at White Hart Lane and and I missed it I turned up with about two minutes to go which wasn't the best start when I've been looking forward to it for ages so that tells you you know a little
0: bit you talk about, you know, struggling at school as a kid and being a Tottenham fan as well. That, meant, that, must, have been, that must have been hard. <laughs> but um, did you, you were aware that you were good at football as a kid? And did that affect the schoolwork at the time? I mean, did that, it's such a tough sport to break into. Mm. Did that impact your schoolwork as well?
2: Yeah, I think things happen quite quickly, James. So from the age of sort of nine or 10, you know, you're in your last sort of couple of years at primary school. It started where I'd go sort of every Monday, but then within a couple of years, they ask they're asking you to go down sort of twice a week, which was, you know, financially, it was very, very difficult, especially at that particular time. And fortunately, it was, like I said, around that time where stepdad come on the scene, because there's no way my mum would have been able to do it at all. But my schoolwork certainly suffered because I think at that age, quite quickly, I was thinking, oh, might you know, I'd love to become a professional football player. And like you say, quite quickly from being at Tottenham, playing for County, East and all these different sides. And by the time I was 14, I was then selected to play for England and go to this FA National School at Lillyshaw. But the headmaster, very, very good, Mr. Downs, really lovely guy, pulled me in the office and I thought I'm going to be in big trouble now. And I was just messing around. And he just said, look, in a nutshell, if you don't buckle down, you're going to stop going to Tottenham. And I'm thinking inside, you can't do that. But obviously they, they really could. And then I knew I had to start applying myself. And then especially when the trials come along when I was 14 to go through these extensive trials at Lillyshaw to have a chance to play for England. So I knew I had to sort of buckle down a little bit more. And although I still struggled in, in class, I didn't mess around so much mm. um, because I didn't want that, you know, them privileges taken away from me.
1: Just going back a little bit again to to kind of being a, a young schoolboy and as mentioned in the introduction, you know, your, your upbringing had its, had its own challenges with, with your mother, etc., your experience at growing up in that, then moving into the professional game. What are some of the memories from kind of your upbringing that that you think have kind of helped steer your course? To be sat here now, talking to you as the as the founder and the lead of a charity doing great work, trying to inspire and, and support and help young kids. Just wondering at what points in your childhood kind of have led you to this. I, I think
2: when my mum went to prison and then sort of just being fostered out so just being in the system that was tough because obviously my mum like I said who I love to bits by the way and and she's you know an amazing individual she went through what she went through when she was young and she spent a short time in prison and I remember going to visit her just thinking you know you're crying your eyes out when you're sort of coming back thinking why is my mum not coming back but also I was still so young I had sort of an older sister who sort of would sort of look after me as well but when you're sort of taken and you're staying with other families and stuff, you sort of don't know really what's going on. Mm. But yeah, sport was certainly my, my out, my outlet for sure. Um, and because I struggled at school as well, I just really can empathize and identify them young boys and girls that really, really struggle. And if like I was, when you're from a sort of socially deprived area and particular sort of council state where I was, Growing up, sort they call it, you know, like London overspill, and a place that I, you know, love to this day and work with young people there. But it was tough because I remember going to my secondary school and there's people that sort of become good friends, but they weren't really allowed to hang around with me. As soon as they found out where you're from, they were like, "Oh no no, choose your friends wisely." And at that time, I mean, there's nothing. I I was, you know, as a I, I thought I was a good friend, regardless of where I come from. But I remember feeling embarrassed at times because we didn't have what they had. Obviously, looking back, I mean, resilience and all the different experiences, yeah, really shape the person that I know that I am today. And so I'm really thankful. And yeah, I can really identify. So when a lot of young people say, oh, you don't know where I'm coming from, you don't know what I'm going for. Actually, I sort of can identify with a lot of of what they, you know, they experienced when they were younger and also Mm -hmm. what they're trying to achieve. And, you know, only one in 2000 children will ever make it as a professional athlete. Them stats haven't sort of changed. And I was often sort of growing up, even as a professional footballer, remembering, looking back, thinking, wow, you know, I never forget where I come from. But it's like, how do you help them young boys and girls that don't have that support, that maybe don't have that outlet, you know, haven't got them aspirations? Well, who's helping them? So Mm. my heart was really to go, actually, yeah, I've recognised the power of sports, seeing the difference, the opportunities, travelling the world, all these different experiences it gave me. It was like, well, how can I make a difference and that's when I spoke to another ex-professional footballer, good friend, actually co-founder, helped me set up the charity, uh, Richard Philb, who played at Luton, went to Hingingbrook. So it was lovely having someone, again, from a single-parent family and just said, look, let's let's make a difference here. Let's try. Let's see what we can do.
0: Yeah, you talk about that the difficulty of getting into professional sports and as you said one in 2000 the only exception to that obviously would be county hockey which is very easy anyone can <laughs> anyone can pick <laughs> up uh, the, yeah. yeah they're very easy anyone yeah. could do that but um I guess having those experiences helps you build those relationships that you can a be a bit of a role model to people and say look I was in that same situation and it's authentic and it's real and, and you'll understand things about each other that other people wouldn't necessarily so you can you can bond over that I guess
2: definitely and it just it just gives you such an appreciation the things that especially in the world of professional football you know there's complain about so much sometimes and I'm like are you kidding me you know there's there's just there's not a lot to complain about there's a lot of hard work don't get me wrong becoming a professional athlete it's hard work it's dedication you know you can't you have to eat sleep breathe it I was also inspired and I, and I give him credit growing up where I did a, guy, a Scottish fella called Alan Darimble, and when you talk about you know, local like charity champions, community champions. This guy is that and then some. And he was responsible for probably thousands of young, at that particular time, young boys sort of thing, who was making sure that if we weren't behaving at school, you know, he'd find out and then we couldn't play because what I did leave out is that obviously I was playing Sunday League football as well for a team called Rowdies and loved it, loved every minute of it. But if he found out that we were messing around and continually caused problems, or in the community, causing problems, he would say, "Right, you're not playing," and so he could use that
1: almost to to sort of make sure that we didn't mess around. Yeah, and Junior, you went on to have you know a long uh, illustrious career with with various clubs up and up and down the league. I even remember a couple of years ago, you came back and signed for St. Ives Town, which is the local semi pro team to me, and, and finished off some of your days there. I think you scored a, scored a few goals there as well, didn't you? Still, still yeah, yeah.
2: Some good times. I think again, embarrassingly, I think on Wikipedia, I think I'm still playing for him, which is <laughs> not bad. Not bad for for a 46 year old who's still happening to uh, churn out. I wish I was. I wish I was able to. But um, yeah. just don't
1: yeah, check yeah. James's Wikipedia page. Out. That, that's not. That's not. A good, <laughs> None of that is true. That's How not a those? good read. Yeah. But the, okay. the, the the question I was going to ask you, Junior, about going through and life as a professional athlete, playing football, as you touched on already, but we tend to put professional footballers, particularly in this country, on a bit of a pedestal, but I think what, what we also were interested to talk to you about was the charity work that comes out of the, the professional game during your experience. And, you know, we we can be quite fickle, I think, as a, as a society to always look at that and think, oh, they're just a professional footballer. You know, they've been made to do it. They don't genuinely believe it. But I think that through our work and, and through the conversations that we've had, there's a, always a genuine wanting to give something back from those people that have made it. Can you talk to us a bit about, your experience playing professionally and actually some of the, the work that you started then and what you took from that. Times have changed. And, and just being honest,
2: when I was playing professional football, the money that the the guys and girls are earning you know, now is just, honestly, it's unbelievable where it wasn't like that for us. But I think looking back, one, one it was never about that anyway. You just sort of wanted to sort of play, you know, play football. And I suppose when you're young, you don't recognise if you do play professional football what a platform it gives you. And I think a lot of footballers will do a lot of good in the community, locally, regionally, nationally, sort of internationally, but they don't always tell people about it. And so the newspapers and other people, because they don't want the attention, because it might be because they want projects standing up on their own two feet. But I think there's a lot of good people in the world of sport that do a lot of good, but maybe just don't want to talk about it so much but i think for me as well a charity uh, been around for 40 years called christians in sport and i had the privilege of from the age of 19 i suppose as as a, as a christian myself but there was a lot of professional footballers that would go out to america so we'd get to go over there and work with children from deprived backgrounds and i think that's also that played a big part in thinking wow that that's amazing the difference that you can have you know you're giving up your own time at a time when as young guys as well you know You'd be known for going to, you know, iron up all the boys holidays. I was different in the sense, so don't get me wrong, I'd been there and done that, but I found more fulfilment in going on these, you know, holidays and places, but working with children and and just realising the impact that you could have and the difference you could make. So, yeah, it was so rewarding and, and it was things like that, or whether like lots of people do, by the way, even, you know, not in the world of sport. We had a chance to sponsor some children in Africa. That was that was good as well. So from a young age, I was doing it, but never thought at that time, oh, I know when I'm older, you know, I was looking to set up a charity. So, but again, yeah, you're governed by your own experiences, your beliefs. There's lots of different factors why we do what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. Talking about founding SCF, where did, was that the spark that, that led to that? That You you enjoyed that and got fulfillment from those trips and things, and you thought, you know, I'll take this one step further and, and, and set up my own or...?
2: I think how so, Jen. I, yeah, I, I think you know. I was talking earlier about role models in your community. Just recognising whilst playing professional football, just thinking, wow, there's there's a lot of stuff that we could do. So it was burning inside me to think, how do I go about this? I, you know, want to work with young people, want to give them opportunities that I didn't have, but didn't quite know how to do it. So there was going to be three of us, another professional footballer, Barry Miller, who was going to sort of like get involved in that as well. And it was myself and Richard who ended up sort of just sort of doing it. And he was fantastic in the early years. You know, he'd come out of football before I could. So when you're talking about setting up a charity and all the red tape and all the rigmarole and all the hoops that you have to jump through, you're just thinking, wow, really? All this just to, we just want to transform lives, you know? And also as well, I think when people find out that you're from the world of sport, there was lots of different directions we could have gone in. So we now, you know, we have four, what we think is clearest strands of the charity. But, you know, you, you then it was like, oh, we could help by trying to help reduce reoffending, Or oh, we could help with... So it was just like not too sure how it was going to happen. So, yeah, started off with a s- small schools programme, then building good relationships with school teachers, finding out and being able to identify the children that really needed the help. It was then sort of over the years that, we sort of tried to refine what we were doing and sort of like today just sort of landed on our
1: four main strands really tell us more about those four strands junior i know you 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 shared them with us earlier and obviously you mentioned this the school's Mm. program but i mean firstly i guess what what is your mission and and tell us about the four strands that you're you're doing
2: yeah yeah so ultimately it's using sport to help and inspire children but the way we do that is we set up a schools initiative and basically it was mainly to how we could work with children in the more socially deprived areas it's called the pro kick schools challenge and it's where there's a you know there's always been a big government media push about getting more positive role models into schools in particular into primary schools and because of what I went through it's all about trying to help children in their formative years where they're impressionable where you can get alongside them and make a difference but also wanted them to have fun so what we did we again sort of just used obviously other current or former professional footballers in this case for the pro kick challenge and we'd send them in with some of the biggest inflatable goals in the country that would literally you know flash up and tell the children how fast they kick it compared to some of the best players in the world and we're fortunate to have some of the Premier League England players that would endorse what we were doing so it meant that we could put All the children across the country that got to took part, they'd get certificates with positive messages from England players, which was amazing. You know, medals, footballs. We gave them chances to walk out Wembley for England internationals as well. So we just sort of like was putting more meat on the bone of an initiative that just seemed to be exciting children and teachers, to be fair, all over the country. So that was really, which we are doing ten years down the line. You know, we're still doing that, and would be probably engage another sort of 30,000 say children in this last year had it not been for COVID but from that we were then able to identify children and we developed a program called Inspire Through Spore and that's about developing positive futures for disadvantaged children getting there when they're young helping them with transition basically trying to sort of provide exit routes for them as well because it's it's when children are not necessarily at school but when they're out of school where they struggled so it's like Beginning to trying to put on Inspire through Sport camps for them Um, with identified children, in particular in the primary schools, focusing on year five, year six, sort of age, um, and helping them with transition. And then the plan was to to continue on that journey with them. But obviously, resources, finance, you can only do so much. We've been doing that, and we're trying to get the support so that we can do that not just in Huntingdonshire and Cambridgeshire and other parts of the country like Essex, where we've been and Obviously, there's a huge need all over the country. And then the other two strands, you know, are international, um, inspire through sport international and had the privilege of going out to Burkina Faso in West Africa just to sort of see where we could land. Because what the, the plan was, what the, the vision, the dream was to to link up schools across the country from a Pro Schools Challenge and get them involved. So educating children about global citizenship, you know, letting them know that there's children in parts of the world that, also that don't have nothing. And I know growing up as I did, I know that there's so many children, there's what, over 4 million children in poverty right now across the UK and then some, especially obviously with COVID. But there are children that I've seen with my own eyes and have worked with over there that have absolutely nothing to. And it's only a small part of what we do, but what we wanted to do really is just build that project. So when I went out there the following year, I had the privilege of going out with ITV Anglia. So we took them out as well just to highlight the plight of some of these children so there's an orphanage and nursery out there that we're trying to establish a program and the last one is our sporting wishes which i think is a little bit more self-explanatory but it's just trying to make dreams come true for children who are facing life limiting illnesses we've had the privilege of making dreams come true for them nice
1: so james is running a bit late as usual so it gives me a quick opportunity just to give you an update on where you can find more about us on the social channels so we're on twitter and instagram at do more good pod you can also visit us on the website at do there you can find loads of episodes and information and we're also launching our new newsletter soon so you can hear all about our latest episodes and get some of the vip content oh here he is come on james where have you been
0: Some lovely stuff that you're working on. I'm going to take it in a slightly different direction, just segue off a little bit. You mentioned ITV Anglia. It's not the only time you've starred on TV, is it? Could we? Could you tell us a little bit about Dream Team?
2: I <laughs> oh, don't. I'd love to say I had aspirations to be become an actor, but I'll be honest, that would um, that would, be <laughs> that would be misleading. Yeah, no, I had the privilege of being in a um, TV series, which was well-known back in the day, called Dream Team on Sky One, which was obviously quite popular. I'd watch it myself, but it was whilst playing coming out of the professional game, then playing semi-professional. So I was at Dagenham and Redbridge at the time. And obviously, you're then training in the evenings. And I think it was a sort of a teammate and a guy called Andy Anser also. Um, so when you see all the Nike adverts, I did, I he's the guy that's behind them. And he actually invented the term techers, believe it or not, if you look that oh, up. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So he, he's, he's unbelievable, does all the adverts all over the world. And what they were looking for at the time, because he was – an actor, one of the first team players, but he was looking for, at that time, sort of, you know, semi-professional footballers that could make the scenes a little bit more realistic. So a few of us who had been maybe professional, but now at semi-professional level, had the time during the day to become part of the first team. So I was one of the first team players and spent a couple of years, I think, doing that, but really enjoyed it. And because because it was, you know, it was like secondary for me, football was, you know, my passion. That paid my bills, so to speak, or some of them. <laughs> but... um, <laughs> yeah that was really really good fun and there were some characters there i mean honestly whether you're in the green room waiting around to do your you know your stints it was brilliant it was absolutely hilarious and uh, terry Kylie, who played fletch you know and others were just brilliant we had such a giggle every single day it was a really good you know i look back with fond memories
0: Fond. Oh, memories. good stuff Great stuff. To get us back on track, thank you for that, that segue. Uh, to get us back on track, you, you talk about the work there and focusing on kids at primary school. Is there a reason for that? Are they particular, Do you feel like they're particularly impressionable at that age? Is that a kind of a good time to catch kids?
2: Yeah, because you've got intervention, you've got prevention, you've got amazing charities. But I know for myself, and I think, you know, when you're working with children in their formative years, you work with children when they're younger because you can help you know, mold shape them, you're helping them with transition all the change that they go through from primary school to, to secondary schools. And it gets harder because by the time they're in their teens and having three boys myself, it's all about peer pressure and trying to be cool and all these other things that boys, obviously young boys and girls go through. So um... are still trying, by the way, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> still a chance, still a chance yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah,
2: So, so no, we just found it was definitely the right thing to do and based on good friend of ours um, who's an educational child psychologist and there's all the stats that support it, children in their formative years, the difference you can make, early intervention sort of thing um, mm. and interventions and that, that's certainly a part 10 years later of what we're trying to do.
1: You touched on it there Junior, I mean 10 years t- to, to be around for, for this long I'm sure there's been a lot of hiccups and hills that you've had to climb and understanding as we have on the podcast that we've spoken to a lot of people from different charity backgrounds from some of the you know the huge the huge brands that we we all know right through to you know small one-man bands It, it can be a really difficult journey what do you think's really kept you going through all of those 10 years I think a couple of
2: things I mean you know we're really passionate about what we do and we really are a small charity in the hmm. biggest scheme of things. And honestly, 10 years down the line, I still feel like when you play professional football, you do done my apprenticeship at Tottenham before turning professional there. But that was you know, two years. I honestly feel like I'm still doing my apprenticeship because there's so much to know in the charity sector. So I just look to glean from loads of different people. And as a small charity, you're wearing so many different hats from trying to develop programs to trying to, you know, making sure your governance, making sure everything else is in place, you know, supporters. there's, there's so much to do, but we're so thankful that we've got individuals now that are getting involved and wonderful trustees. So I, I'm a hundred percent still learning massively. And like I said, you know, I think what is it so important to realize, because we, like you said, again, sporting analogies, I know, but you never stop learning. Mm. I feel like I'm, just beginning. I really do feel like I'm just doing the infancy. But it's been a tough, a tough ten years. But you, you, you know, you asked about sort of what keeps you going. I think your faith definitely, because it doesn't feel like a job. It's a calling. And I know that might sound strange, but I just mean that I believe you're put on this earth to try and make a positive impact. So for me, it's a way that I get to use sport to try and transform lives but all I'm really doing is it's a way of sharing God's love I know it sounds quite corny to some but it's it's a way of sharing God's love just being real being authentic you know Mm. being genuine yeah for me it's a calling it's not a it's not a job it was um something that I just you know always always wanted to do and, and and almost like feel like I'll do this to however many years I've got left on this on this earth sort of thing um I won't stop until We've been able to develop more positive futures, and the children. When you think of right now, as we as we're talking, have the privilege with our health, all them children in the hospitals. You know they're going through a horrendous time, grueling mm. treatments that they go through, and oh, the strain and the, the just the torture for the families. So it's like if we can put a smile on their face and keep doing what we're doing, mm. I feel like we're just starting. And the mm. reality is, thank you for having me on because there's so few people that would know about Sports Connection Foundation. So Mm. if I can help just spread the message and just share with another person or two what we're doing, you never know. They might be supporters or, you know, volunteer or get involved with a charity. And ultimately they would be helping us save
1: lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you you touched on there. It it doesn't feel like a, a job and it's something that's been, that spoke about quite a lot in the charity sector because, Quite often, it doesn't feel like a job because you see the impact of the work that you're having, and I'm sure the, the trips that you've described and the experiences that you've had when you've seen the impact that it's you're able to have on a child who's maybe having a tough time. I'm sure that keeps you keeps you coming back and gets you out of bed in the morning. But also, junior, on the flip side of that, it's been well documented that people in in this sector can sometimes get burnt out. Can it can become overwhelming because you're almost not able to switch off that passion. You know, you it's, it's hard to do as a job for for some people because you get to five 6 o'clock and it should be right. Let's close it. But you know, you're sitting here now, keep going. And a long way to get to my, to my question. I, I wonder what your background as a professional footballer and the mental health aspects or the mental strength that that takes whether that has put you in good stead and, and whether you see yourself applying to that now as a, as a charity CEO, can you talk a
2: bit about that? hundred uh, we're, percent. We're forever talking to young people about resilience. Mm. And I know, I know I've been shaped by my, my own experiences and, you know, growing up, but you're absolutely right. The abuse, like personally, it doesn't matter whether it's racism, whatever it was growing up, there's so much that I encountered during my professional football career. If you're fortunate enough and you're playing in front of thousands of people, well, guess what? They're not all your fans. And you have a bad game, they'll let you know about it. So you you get quite poor-shouldered. Um, and I think it's that resilience, certainly as a professional athlete, that's made me want to keep going at a time when it is difficult. So, yeah, so I think, every, you know, them learnings, that you learn in sport, you certainly take them into this sector. But but honestly, I mean, there's so much to learn. You know, I was saying about school struggle so much. So you can have a heart and passion, but you need structure and foundations and strategies in place as well. So I'm very thankful that we've got trustees and others that have got skill sets that I certainly maybe don't possess. Or So, yes, yeah, so I'm really thankful to have really good people. I mean, 10 years, it's the first time we've ever had a dedicated fundraiser Karen Olden, who's come in as what's called our Income and Engagement Manager at one of the toughest times. But we're really blessed that she's kindly sort of, you know, was came in as a volunteer and almost sort of generated her own role. So it's amazing because we just, you know, we've never been in a position. We see all these sort of bigger charities. Obviously, they're more established and, you know, well known. But they've got that structure in place. They've got amazing, like we know, the lifeblood of any charities, volunteers. They've, they've, they're known, you know, they've got their good teams in place so we're we're just sort of trying to build our foundations if that makes sense Mm. and we want to make sure that the charity is around in 100 years time not just you know for the next sort of five or ten years because a lot of these children and young people they need stability and you want to make sure that you're there to support them on their journey so that's what we're trying to do that's the legacy I'm trying to leave is make sure that things are in place Mm. for, for many years to come
0: yeah nice Nice. And certainly this past year, um, you won't be the only charity that's looking at your, your setup and your structure and your processes and all that stuff behind the mm. scenes. It has given us an opportunity to, to reflect on what we do and, and how we do it. What, what are your hopes for the future? Where do you want to take, where do you want that charity to be in 100 years time? You know, <laughs> you, Where's your legacy? Where do you wow, want to that, is,
2: that, that is a vision. I'll be honest, for the first time because of COVID and, and I liken it to just jumping off a treadmill. So for the first time in 10 years, I feel like I've just been able to get off the treadmill just to really reflect and really try and use this time to sort of upskill to to really take a look at the charity uh, with the trustees and sit, you know, sit down and say, right, what are we trying to achieve? What let's let's be more strategic by certainly getting in individuals and really just establishing the programs, you know, the Inspire Through Sport, getting our programs in different regions, because again, when you've been like say the f- over five hundred thousand kids that we've engaged through the kick School Challenge. So of course, when you're you know, and, and I've done a lot of delivery in terms of working with children, which I love, and you're going in there, and the head teacher is saying, "Junior, this is you know fantastic. Is there more that you can do?" And it's so sad because you just want to go, "Yeah, yep, yeah, we can we can be here in London. Yep, yeah, we can be in you know Nottingham. Yep, yeah, we can be in all these different areas." But you just haven't got the resources and stuff. So. It's it's really about trying to yeah sort of look at the the bigger picture like you said where do we want to be just having the infrastructure just having a clear message and that's why it's great the infrastructure is so important so that's what we're working on so ask me again in about six months time <laughs> uh, I'll I'll give you a better picture. Of what the next five years look like, at least. <laughs> yeah, that was. The, I don't think anyone's ever given a hundred-year forecast, but I like the no. question.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And, and COVID, because of COVID, obviously the landscape just seems to be keep, you know, keep changing. Don't know about you guys, but I think a lot of charities are looking more short-term as well, yeah. and going, how, "How do we survive?" And that—that's been a, a factor with us as well. Going, "Right, how do we survive this? What mm. do we need to change? Um, how do we adapt?" Um, and that's what we've been trying to focus on, really.
0: Amazing. Yeah, and then you've got these these Johnny Come Latelys, Marcus Rashford. Your, you know, your fellow <laughs> professional footballer <laughs> just coming in and stealing all the limelight with his work with Fair Share, but he's done yeah. a brilliant job about, as Kenneth touched on at the beginning, really that kind of that reputation of footballers and being selfish. Actually, what he's done is 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 shine a light on on you guys as well. Yeah. About it's not always that way.
2: Yeah. Well, he's he's what I love is individuals that genuinely like when you hear about his upbringing. He's passionate mm. because he just didn't want a family. He doesn't want young people going through what he experienced. And when you have have experienced it and you've gone without meals, it's crazy. There might be children in a school uniform, but when they go home, and honestly, we've encountered this where, you know, they've got no furniture in the house. They're sitting on the floor. They've got absolutely nothing. And it just breaks your heart. And you're just thinking, I can't, I can't turn away. I can't look away from that. You know, as a charity, we can't turn away. So I love the fact that there are more high profile individuals with the free school meals and stuff, but it was a big part of what we were doing. So when we put on our Inspire Free Sport camps, you know, we'd identify a small number of children. I've done camps before previously here in other countries where, you know, you two or 300 children, but the reason why we do things really up close and personal, because you get a chance to build real relationships through your mentoring and giving support, you really be able to sort of, yeah, sort of, you know, get closer to, you know, young people and find out more about them and the struggles mm. that they have. But yeah, feeding them was a massive part of it because pre and post, you just realise, wow, there's so many children that don't have breakfast. They're not eating at home and their school is their stability. You know, that's that's where they they get that nurturing, they get the meals and stuff. But when they come home on the holidays, it's real stressful time for their children and their families. So mm. it was a massive, massive part of what we try and do. Is making sure our framework provides everything that that young person would need. It's all right. Sort of providing a, say a sport program, but if they're staffing, you know, what would you do? You need to make sure that that's a part of it as well. Health and wellbeing is huge as we
1: know. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And Junior, as you Say you know you're you're excited about the the future where it can go. You, you said you feel like you're only just getting getting started. You're still learning every day. Ten years in, which is which is great to hear and really refreshing to hear because you know sometimes you get someone on who's been around ten years and they they probably think they know it all. But you know we all we all need to be acknowledged that we certainly don't do that. But I wanted to ask you, who, who keeps Junior accountable to this? How do you motivate? yourself and continue to learn these new things because you know charity law as you've touched on tr- yeah. trustees it, it all changes it all moves very quickly yeah. how do you keep yourself in the best possible shape to, to run a small charity yeah I, th- I think um you know we know trustees pick trustees but
2: certainly there's individuals that we've got involved now that have been in a charity sector that certainly i love gleaning from
0: mm. and
2: also as well it might be sort of picking the brains of other people within the charity sector, mm-hmm. along with the trustees, we've got that responsibility of making sure that everything as it should be. So you're forever trying to glean from individuals that have got far more experience than you. So I love, I love to learn. Believe it or not, even I told you about my upbringing as a, as a child, as an adult. Now I love, I love to learn, and um, I just want to keep gleaning. So if I can spend the next ten years learning from you know individuals that are responsible for running charities, and and one of the things, as you guys know as well, you can't do it on your own. I mean, never in a million years at the charity. It wasn't about me at all. Um, it was about, always about your beneficiaries. You know, it was about the children and the young people. But we're so blessed that we've just got an amazing small team, but also volunteers now. And Karen, who's just come in, like I said, you know, has, has made sure of that, that, that we have sort of volunteers that regularly get together. And we call it an SCF family. So we want anyone getting involved really feeling part of something. Because it's not just we want individuals coming in to say actually not just what you know yes you want to get you know make a difference, but we want to inspire them as well. We want them to be inspired.
1: Absolutely, really nice. I feel like we could probably sit here all night and just explore everything from charity to football. I mean, you're basically the perfect guest for us, isn't it, James? Are there you know
0: our two our yeah, two passions? That. Yeah, <laughs> I love that approach. Though that's really good about that about continuous learning. That's exactly what we all need to do, right? That's yeah,
2: hundred percent. Yeah, no, so thankful.
1: Well, look, Junior, we'll we'll start to to wrap it up. It's, it's been great to talk to you. We're not going to let you off the hook straight away. We do have a couple of quick fire questions that we throw in at the end of our no podcast. Problem. So, no problem, James. Do you want to hit him with the first one?
0: Go on, then. All right, you threw on goal after an incredible team move against Poverest FC. Do you a? <laughs> no question number one if you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self what piece of advice would you give and why
2: oh that is a really really good question didn't even get no prep for it did I? i've got a sort of answer <laughs> now um at uh, resilience don't procrastinate did you say just one bit of advice because there's probably lots that i would sort of share yeah make sure that you get good people around you yeah again in the world of sport it can be very fickle certainly but trust me going from sort of clubs at a high level then you come in non-league it's amazing how people disappear (laughs) if that makes sense so you really see who your true friends are and and I've kept them sort of for years sort of thing really but yeah no it's a really good question to be resilient yeah sort of stick stick to your beliefs yeah nice nice (laughs)
1: Can you tell us about one life hack, or a productivity tool, or, or a habit, or a skill, something that you've taught yourself recently, that you think everybody needs to know about?
2: A life hack. It's not so much a hack, and it's quite. I know it's quite boring, but you know when we talk about just well being, so it's not even. It's not funny or anything, but it's just like. <laughs> Doesn't does it? Doesn't need to be? It's, it's, it's just you know, for mental health and well being, sort of just get yourself out. Like no matter what, how busy you think you are just get out go for a walk you know like for me I've loved it during this period of time I get the privilege of and um, we've got an 18 year old who's the eldest we can leave him for a real short amount of time uh, with, with the other two now they're all very sensible but just even walking just up the road and back just spending time with my wife for the last 10 years because I've just been eat slept breathe you know the charity etc and everything that's been on traveling the country it's amazing it takes you know you take time to stock so just just go out for a walk make sure no matter how busy you are because for your health and well-being it's essential and i know it makes a lot a lot of difference to those struggling with mental health
0: nice yeah, nice we drove past um I say drove past the park near us the weekend it was packed there were so many people in the in the park and i hope we don't lose that as we go back to normal and everyone uh, i don't know heads inside more but I
1: think, yeah. I think walk i think walking just generally right i think walking has just boomed or well, actually as my ref- my daughter now refers to it as so she i keep on being chirping away at the kids to say come and help me take the dog for a walk right we got a puppy 11 months ago uh, obviously numbnuts here has to take the dog for a walk morning noon and night but you know i'm trying to persuade the kids to say come along and my daughter made a good suggestion the other day she said dad maybe rather than call it a walk why don't you call it a stroll i might come then so maybe just walking needs a bit of a rebrand strolling <laughs> totally right? There you go. That's, that's
2: what they do. They certainly do that in football. It was always um, you know, oh yeah, we're gonna go for a run. They'd throw a ball at you and then it's disguised running. It was it's like, oh, okay. You yeah. go do your fitness work, but you throw a ball in, you're more likely to do it. So it's yeah. um yeah, using using the carrots that work.
0: Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Real. Yeah. Uh final question for you. As a podcast that is focused on people who are doing more good, what is your favorite story? Inspiring individual you have met on your journey or perhaps recently who has done something good for others
2: I think we've all been captivated by Sir Tom and you know characters like Marcus Rashford but I think it's those that are not necessarily in the limelight that you won't see on TV you won't hear about in the news so this sounds really cheesy but I tell you what I've got a new found admiration I think for parents that have got through this covid period having homeschooled their children so they're my heroes the unsung heroes as well as obviously the nhs workers and everyone else that we know about yeah my goodness me yeah i've got a lot of love for the parents that have had to sort of battle through this especially when they're on their own as well by the way wow
1: wow yeah yeah on their own maybe not not access to i mean how difficult i don't know what your school and your children's were like but some of the technology that they were using i mean you needed a bloody IT degree to figure that out, didn't you? To start with, you know, I thought I was IT proficient until some of those instructions came out on me. Don't, <laughs> don't, And
2: this And this is, this, is, this is where I f- you feel a bit, but this is why, like I said, I encourage anyone in terms of, oh, keep encouraging young people to just work hard at school or else mm. you're sort of like me going, go and ask your mum. <laughs> Can you help me with your homework? Can you help me with homework? Uh, go and ask your mum. Maybe, maybe, I played in France, so maybe a little bit of French and there's a little bit of English, some other particular lessons that I've enjoyed or things, history, you know. But honestly, it's embarrassing. My my 11-year-old knows more than me. Um, <laughs>
1: so, it's,
2: um, yeah, it's been a, a good sign. Sign you,
1: brought, sign you brought him up well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Junior, look, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on and, and, and hearing your story and your backstory. We wish you lots of luck with SCF. Actually, we'll just say now what if anyone wants to kind of contact you or, or reach out, find out more about the the charity. Where can where can they go? Yeah, Sports Connections Foundation, but it's
2: www.scfchildrenscharity.org.uk. I mean, anyone would be most welcome. Honestly, everyone's so friendly. We're a small team, but we'd love the help because, like most charities, of course, we're we're struggling, and you know, we live hand to mouth. Mm. That's that's the reality. So, but we want to change that. But it's going to take, you know, individuals that you know, might be listening to do more good and going, actually, yeah, I've, you know, this is a charity I could get involved in and I could make a difference. So, and they could be a role model. So, honestly, we'd love to hear from anyone if they've got the time. No problem at
1: all. Brilliant. Cool. Hopefully you get some people getting in touch. James, any final thoughts?
0: Uh, I hope that Karen does an awesome job. Team Karen all the way. Good luck to her. Enjoy your Brilliant. stroll, Kenneth. I'm off to watch Dream Team.
1: the reruns somewhere on somewhere on iPlayer somewhere
0: it'll be somewhere it it. will
1: be well look uh, we'll wrap it up there Junior thanks very much James see you soon take care guys see you later thanks guys cheers guys take care take care Wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth at Do More Good Pod, Instagram at Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to
0: YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if
1: you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk.